0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Welcome to the Monday Lorians, a podcast where a bunch of Star Wars fans get together for a chat every Monday discussing the latest episode of the new Star Wars animated series, The Bad Batch. Today we'll be looking at the seventh episode titled Battle Scars, written by Jennifer Corbett and directed by Saul Ruiz. I'm your host, David Oscar. I am a content creator, editor over at Fresh Take Hub and a podcaster. And I am joined today once again by...
1: Hello, I'm Jake Hart. I'm also a podcaster, sound designer, and a writer on Fresh Take Hub. Excited to be here. I got my Jawa juice, got my Mantel mix, ready to talk about the Bad Batch.
0: Those uh, Star Wars snacks are just increasing and increasing. I think they're, they're possibly trying to expand their menu at uh, Galaxy's Edge. Oh, you know, it.
1: you know it. And you know people like me will <laughs> buy it as well. $20 for, for a Mantel mix? Sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, Jake, uh, we'll get straight into it. What, what did you think of this week's episode? We're, we're here again in terms of seeing classic characters come back. We're riding off the coattails of the end of last week's episode. And a lot of stuff that we've seen built up over the weeks is now starting to pay off. So, so what was your thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, I really, really enjoyed this episode. It prob- might even be my favorite episode since the premiere um it just feels like an important moment within the whole season like first of all they got on away from the sort of mission of the week structure uh they introduced a a big fan favorite character and i also really liked that it's a very more low-key episode than we've got before like i think out of all of them that this has the least action in it which i actually really appreciated considering it's a show about a group of action men (laughs) do you know what i mean and i it just means that there was a lot more time for the bad batch and other characters uh for their relationships to be challenged for them to question more about what they're doing in this world and i always just really like that it's it's very welcoming to see that in a in an action show and it's also a decision you know that pays off later with all the emotional moments that's happening with recca omega so yeah again like the animation is stunning the music's great it was probably one of the most tense episodes of the series so far. Like, we'll get into it, but that sort of last act of that episode, I was just like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Um, so yeah, I'm I'm all for this episode. Probably my favorite since the premiere.
0: Impressive. Yeah, I think for me, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very emotional as well. It was like a lot of drama in it. By the end of it, I was like, oh wow, I feel like so drained by... No, again, it wasn't like this massive journey and it wasn't particularly upsetting but it's just the fact that you're seeing a lot of these sort of lovable characters who've been introduced via this series and that we've seen previously introduced in the clone wars in a new light and in more emotional and dramatic situations which again was quite different for star wars and their animated series i guess in a way to really sort of pull on the heartstrings and the emotions in that way especially for characters who are so endearing so Yeah, I I really loved this one. I thought that it really demonstrated the strengths of the show and how we've been talking about for weeks now, about how far, you know, Lucasfilm's animation division has come. As you said, the animation has been absolutely stunning. And here particularly, I just thought that the lighting and the cinematic quality to the episode really benefited it and, you know, made, I think, anybody who is a naysayer of the show or saying that's for kids, or just a cartoon, you know, show them this episode, you know, there's so much in this, which is very serious and quite dark. um, And I think really orientated to, you know, us as fans, and, you know, in some ways, you know, more of an adult audience, but of course, can still be enjoyed by, by kids. So I think that the, the animation quality is really next level. And I think it's, it's testament to the quality of Disney Plus as well, I think, as a service, because there's just some shots in this, entire episode which just looks stunning and yeah it you know progressed the story really well. Like you say, we're not having too much of an adventure of the week kind of stuff. I think everything we've seen so far, it's all played its part and played its you know, has been building up to a moment like this. And I think we're gonna see that more and more as we go along. So it's harder maybe for me to distinguish this one as more individual compared to the other episodes to say this is one of my favorites it's definitely up there i think in terms of quality but i think it just goes with why i said before that you know i'm going to enjoy this week by week no matter what because of the quality of the clone wars and that we already got built up with episodes like aftermath and i think last week's episode just kind of stood out for how much more fun it was and how different it was was this you know it seemed quite similar in some ways to, you know, the replacements episode in which you, were to, you know dealing with sort of like a, a darker storyline and, you know, where they're in a dangerous situation. So I think that because of that, it kind of coupled itself a bit more with those type of episodes for me, but still doesn't take away from the actual like quality and how much I loved it. How much longer until we're in hyperspace tech? That depends on when Echo plans on getting the drive back online. I'm working on it. Ruby likes this very much.
1: You name that thing! What's with these guys?!
0: Well, we did steal from them.
1: Technically, the Rokai stole the lizard first. We
0: are merely intercepting it. They don't see it that way.
1: So, in space, the Havoc Marauder is being pursued by three gunships. As Hunter mans the rear gun, he asks how long it will take before they can jump into hyperspace, and Tech says that depends on how long it takes Echo to get the hyperdrive online. Omega, strapped in next to a cage, says she thinks that Ruby is getting scared, prompting Wrecker to express surprise that she named the lizard. <laughs> the lizard's cage falls, and the frightened uh, lizard flees, jumping onto Wrecker. Echo says that the hyperdrive is online, just as Omega manages to secure Ruby in the cage. They p- tech pulls the ship's lever, taking them into hyperspace. So this is a little fun intro to the show. Like, um, I think this is the first time the show's done this way. It hasn't immediately picked up where the last episode finished. Uh, It seems that some time has passed. Maybe they've done a couple of missions for Sid in, in this time as well. And I just love the little interaction between them. It's very Star Wars. You know, they're being chased and they're all arguing in the cabin and stuff like that. And I also, it didn't really occur to me until watching this, but I'm a really big fan of gun turrets on starships. Like, when Hunter's there, just blast them, and he's like, pew, and he shoots them, and I'm just like, yeah, that's Star Wars. You know, the, the thrill and excitement of Star Wars. Uh, but what did you think of this little cold opening and the the, <laughs> the li- Ruby the Lizard?
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree with you, I think, in terms of the, you know, the being on the the turret like gunship i think that that is always you know classic star wars and you know gets you really in the mood uh, i did kind of have like bad mando vibes in terms of the stuff i didn't enjoy as much when you had that episode that started with that guy i was you know i've mentioned before in the past i think he's just like you had this coming mando and all you know all that i i never kind of liked that stuff i thought it was a bit stale uh so i had a bit of bad feelings from that i think the fact that this was called Bow scars i was already like okay well This seems to be about something more serious or dark, especially if we are going to get a character like Rex uh, come into this, which seemed quite likely, especially then from that episode title. So I wasn't too worried and it did seem to be going off the fact of like they had concerns about Sid in the previous episode and this seemed to be continuing that like, oh, we're doing these, you know, crazy missions, etc. So... Yeah, I, I accepted it for what it was, but that did initially give me some worries. And, you know, I'm not always too fond of that because it doesn't seem too much like Star Wars. Usually it's more like, here is our story, you know, here's our introduction. So it kind of throws you off sometimes. But at the same time, you know, it, it did a good job in covering that story that they've been doing a few missions now and they're getting into trouble and it doesn't always work out, et cetera. So I, I think it it set the stage nicely uh and in a different enough way that it kept things fresh so yeah i enjoyed it the lizard was kind of random <laughs> i was just like what's with this lizard but i kind of guess it sticks to the theme they've also had with you know random creatures and all that kind of stuff as well so
1: yeah there seems to be uh sid loves these creatures somehow she's always asking them on missions with creatures and I've noticed as well that Omega seems to be very attached to creatures as much as possible by even giving them names all the time. Your name's a Ruby? <laughs>
0: yeah. That's what I was thinking when I was watching, watching it, just every time that there is some sort of animal like that, I'm just imagining her like, the creature got the pie. <laughs> <It's just> like... <laughs>
1: oh, she's just like, I just keep saying this, but it's the best word I can describe Omega is just endearing. She's just incredible. I'm just like, I just want to be like, protect and be like, can't let anything bad happen to you. You're so adorable. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, right. Yeah, we go. uh, We're back on Ord Mantell then. So the Batch and Omega show Ruby to Sid, who remarks that is a strange looking lizard. (laughs) Uh, When Echo asks what her client wants the lizard for, Sid speculates that it could be a pet or maybe wants to turn it into a stew. She doesn't know or doesn't care. And Hunter remarks as long as she gets paid. And then she's like, now you're getting it. Uh, Omega and Rekka seek Hunter's permission to go on leave since it's a tradition. And he's like, oh, come on, it's for the kid. And he's like, "Uh uh-huh, for the kid. (laughs) (laughs) So he reluctantly agrees uh, but warns them to not stay away for too long. In Sid's office, she gives them a third of the credits they were promised Eka asks how this is a, mu- a mutual beneficial arrangement, but Siz says that she is generous due to the debt they owe her. When Hunter asks what she is talking about, she presents him with a data bad for docking fees, port charges, gear, fuel, rations, and 20 cartons of Mantel mix. Everyone's like, what? Well, what's Mantel mix? We then cut to the market where Reka buys two cartons of Mantel mix from a street merchant when the merchant tells him they owe them 14 credits. Rex says, oh, put it on Sid's tab. (laughs) I just thought this was one of another fantastic joke. And I don't know what the Mantel mix looked like. It looked like some form of like popcorn or something. But I was like, that's tasty. I'd like to have some of that. Uh, But what did you sort of make of this little joke and like meeting uh, Sid coming back into the the story
0: yeah i think again it shows the the strengths of sid as a character how she operates and to appeal as a character of being that kind of hub and base character that they've been going back to for the last few weeks but also at the end of the day that she is like a kind of businesswoman a shady dealer so there's that element of because even i think when they first introduced it i was like well, how much of this is she getting and why does she get this much? And I think that that is a, a you know a fair question to ask. And in some ways, then when she brings that up, you're like, OK, she has a point, I suppose, in terms of, you know, keeping them up and, you know, feeding them, et cetera, as well. And, she, you know, she has a business to run at the end of the day. So it, it definitely sort of points towards the idea that they're, you know, starting to question their job and, and relationship with Sid and that she's not exactly like the most perfect of characters. Uh but it's also just showing the, the strengths of the script right in terms of giving that endearing and lovable quality with Recker. You know, like flipping back just immediately to that joke then in which he's just like, oh put it on Sid's tab. You know, it's 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 very funny stuff and it's just it's just lovable and i think that you know it's it's because of the way that the character has been one introduced and just handled carefully i think over the last few weeks makes you buy into that situation so yeah i i really enjoyed it i thought that was quite fun and it was just it it was a good change of style in terms of just like that cutting back and forth i thought that it worked really well especially the fact that it is like you know uh Mant- you know 20 cartons of mantel mix and then you know go into that and be like well, well what's this all about and you're like ah right i see
1: yeah it's really funny like i also like that she then goes on to tell them that she likes them but she's not running a charity and she tells them that they need a big score in order to get even uh, sid warns them that to figure something out before they see her ugly side and tech rigs a hmm. quip about saying is that not her ugly side <laughs> But before Sid can respond, uh, they hear blaster fire from inside the bar. So, um, yeah, so they hear the blaster fire. They go outside and they see Bolo and Ketch fleeing upstairs and a hooded stranger rests his weapon on a table. When Sid asks who he is, the stranger reveals himself as the former clone Captain Rex. (laughs) Sid grumbles about having to host another clone, and warns the Batch that she is done taking in strays, adding that this isn't a clone clubhouse. And then as she mm-hmm. walks off, she's muttering like, unbelievable, think they own the plane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, what did you think about seeing Rex here, Dave? We've been speculating for ages, or when's he going to pop up? And I like that, again, they all these episodes, they're sort of leaving us on like a mini cliffhanger, I would say. Like, it's still sort of concluding the episode, but there's a bit like, ooh, what's this? And I'm finding that the next episode, they're immediately answering that question. They're not dragging it out. So I like that they went, okay, cool. Who's that mysterious hologram figure? Next episode, this is him. This is the deal.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the best way of doing it. And I think that's kind of what we found with The Mandalorian as well. Is just that as long as you can people's interest for the next week and i think that that's a big strength of streaming and i think that's where a lot of tv shows have gone wrong in terms of not having like good enough cliffhangers is that you want to have them immediately click next episode or tune in next week whichever way you're doing it so i think that that's a good way of doing it is that because if you then get on to the next episode and it's still not answered you're like oh well this show isn't answering my questions or it's just stretching things out so i think that 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 is a better way to do things especially when you're dealing with animation and it's it's shorter kind of content but yeah i think the scene Rex obviously is is very satisfying again all the fun with you know Sid, as you mentioned is fun with her saying about the you know it it being a clone clubhouse etc and you know you've seen the two bar patrons which we've seen before like running out after all all, all the bar fire and um, something I do want to quickly mention as well, which you know links into the stuff with the Mantel mix as well, just to go back a bit on that, is that in terms of how we're seeing a lot of the characters who populate this world, obviously it's very common for us to see uh, Ithorians and uh, weakways, which they have there. So the, those species are just commonplace at this point, especially in animation. Uh, I guess because they don't have to make them too individual in terms of their design, etc. But also the fact that the Mantelmix salesperson was Pantoran. But I'm not sure if anybody else has picked up on this. But I thought by when I was like rewatching the episode is that I'm not sure. But to me, that character potentially read as like a trans or non-binary character. Because if you look at their design, they've got quite so sort of like female features but then kind of like a masculine kind of voice or face. And I was like, this could be a really good way of Star Wars and Disney just slowly introducing these characters, which I think that they have done to some degree in their films, in their an- other animated projects, as we've seen with Pixar. They've sort of put in like LGBTQ plus characters in supporting roles. So I wouldn't be surprised if they had done, uh, did this. And this is like an opportunity to do that. And we know that in Star Wars comics etc that they are those characters that exist within that that group out there as well uh so i thought that 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 was worth mentioning especially as i suppose we're in pride month etc so i don't know if anybody else came across that but i guess if they didn't then that in some ways is maybe better if that is the intended purpose of that character because it's kind of just to blend in and it'd be an, a normal thing I, I think it's just worth mentioning as well when you've got a character like sid as well who's obviously very different to a normal trandoshan as well and is you know quite a a Good representation for sort of bold empowered female characters as well and uh yeah i think that that's important especially when you're going to have a storyline then which is essentially like five male characters then we're just like the one sort of young female character so i suppose it's important to to big up all those other kind of types of characters uh, so that you're not just getting more of the same thing because uh, easily in this episode, it could just feel like, oh, this is just boring because it's just the same, you know, five kind of variations of the same clone. But, but yeah, I thought, you know, Rex's introduction was kind of as as expected. Uh, I think that thankfully it didn't go down the route of like, oh, we're like immediately in a situation or we're immediately distracted by something else. We'll chat about that later. Like I hate when they have to do that kind of stuff of introducing characters are like oh we'll talk about that later it's like no let's just talk about the the nitty gritty right now so the fact that Rex is immediately able to talk about you know where he's been you know what's happened i think that is is important because it just seems more realistic. It seems like something that would happen. And I just enjoyed seeing them all have a drink as well with Rex. I just like, it seems to me that like Echo's living life right now. He's just there with his, you know, like screwdriver arm and they just drink like, he's really like, "Mm, yeah, (laughs) like he's like, he's got got his old crew
1: meeting his new crew. It's all coming together.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I I thought that the, the introduction was great and yeah, just, just made sense.
1: Mm. Yeah. Good, good pull on his introduction and him explaining where he's been and stuff like that because I actually thought it was done so effectively, and it's what um you know it's tip of the iceberg storytelling where he's explaining what he's done and you're like okay I I I can sort sort of see where he's coming from but people who've watched the Clone Wars know exactly what he's talking about it's referenced but at the same time it's not giving people who haven't seen those episodes of clone wars to be completely in the dark like what what happened you know you're just like okay he managed a way to get out his inhibitor chip and he's going to show the bad batch how to do it and you're like cool and what i mean by tip of the iceberg storytelling is that if people who haven't seen the clone wars or any other star wars for that matter can be like ah, okay i'm more intrigued to learn about that and they go back and learn more of the story. So that's what I really like when Star Wars does that. Tip of the iceberg storytelling. It gives you a little bit, but enough to keep the current story going, but leaves it open-ended for people who want to, to explore more.
0: Yes, even like text saying that, you know, the Imperial Files said that you were, you know, killed in action. So again, it's covering off that base as well. Is that Oh, why wouldn't the Bad Batch question where he was before? or? you know, been looking for him as as such an important clone, especially because Echo has got links to him. Well, just that little line just kind of fills in that blank as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Definitely. And uh, I didn't notice it, uh, but that is also a good pull about the LGBTQ plus representation as well. But I suppose if that was their intention and I didn't notice it, they did their job. (laughs) And I will say about Rex as well. I thought um, when we first see him, you know, when he's like got his hood up, and you see his eyes, like the little glows. Mm. I don't know about you, but I got serious Strider vibes in the, <laughs> in the Prancing Pony. You know, uh, when he's just yes. sitting there smoking his pipe. And mm. then when the smoke comes up, the little glow. And I was like, ah. And that was actually, for me, the first of two Lord of the Rings references in this episode. And I think you know the one I'm talking about
0: next. Mm. Someone uh, on the animation team is a Tolkien fan. <laughs> yes, definitely.
1: <laughs>
0: What's wrong?
1: Nothing. Uh, it's just a headache. Which are becoming more frequent. Is that so? If you're concerned about these so-called inhibitor chips, don't be. Our deviant nature appears to have impeded their functionality. Except in Crosshair.
0: You're telling me you haven't removed your chips?
1: No, not yet. Rex, those chips make you a threat to everyone around you. Even her? You're all ticking time bombs. Take it easy, Captain. What's in your head is more dangerous than you can imagine. I've seen what happens when the chip activates, and I don't want to bury any more of our brothers. Alright, so um, Rex explains that he has been keeping a low profile since the Clone Wars ended. Tech agrees, saying that the Imperial Files have listed Rex as being killed in action. When Hunter asks how he tracked them down, Rex tells them that the Martez sisters told them that a squad of rogue clones helped them on Corellia, adding that the sisters told them they were traveling with a kid. Res- Rex asks who that is. Hunter explains that the kid is named Omega and that she is a clone just like them. Just then, Wrecker and Omega arrive. Omega is surprised at how how happy Wrecker is, saying that she thought they didn't like Rex. and Wrecker tells her, we like this one. <laughs> Uh, Rex kneels down to talk to Omega, telling her that he has met many clones in his time, but never one like her. Omega steps forward and deduces that Rex is a genera- Generation 1 clone based on the lines on his face. Now, this could be as simple as, as, like, I can see that you're old, you know, that you probably are from the first gen. I think there's a bit more to it, though. I think, like, there is something to be said about Omega knowing a lot about the clones, how they operate. She seems to know a lot of information about the inhibitor chips. Do you know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> the fact that she hasn't got an inhibitor chip. So I think this is more than just, oh, I can see you're old. That's why you're... J-. I think she's just got very intuitive about clones and the process of making clones and all that sort of stuff.
0: Kind of sticks to my theory, I suppose, as well, of potentially if she has been a genetic clone in that she's sort of aged... Normally, then potentially she would have known this because she's potentially seen the advancements with the enhanced aging process. So potentially she would be familiar with the different generations of clones because she would now see, oh, yeah, I remember when the first generation came about and I can see how they've aged as time has gone on. So that could also be a hint towards that, that, you know, she's more of a a pure clone like Boba, etc., which I think would yeah. be interesting.
1: Yeah. Cause we've discussed, we've discussed this off air, like whether or not she's an unaltered clone like mm. Boba, so that like she that's ages n- naturally or if she's um, enhanced aging, I don't know exactly what it is like, um, but yeah, the enhanced aging where she's doubles up in years. I think that's how it works. Like five years, they're actually 10 years old. And in 20 years, they're actually like 40 or something like that. Mm. Um, but and yeah, it's interesting stuff, man.
0: Sig of Lama Sue, like, curious, isn't it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so uh, Wrecker, he's touching his head and he tells Tech that he needs another med patch. When Tech reminds Wrecker that he used the last run, Wrecker asks what's wrong and Wrecker claims that it's just a headache and they're saying that they're... It's happening more often, and that tech's like, no, don't worry, our deviant nature appears to have impeded the functionality of the inhibitor chips, with the exception of crosshair. Rex then asks why they haven't removed the chips, and when tech confirms this is the case, <laughs> Rex slowly reaches for his blaster and warns him that the inhibitor chips are dangerous and have, having experienced Order 66. Hunter asks how they should take out the biochips, Letting go of his blaster, he calms down. Rex says, that is a good question and he will be in touch. Now, I really liked the animation in this particular scene because the emotion and acting coming off Rex's face in this scenario when he's just like, oh my God, no, you've still got those in there. He, You could really see the PTSD, the horror of, of that sort of Order 66 coming back to him and him having to bury his brother's and, you know, having to fire on Ahsoka when he's trying so hard not to. All these memories are coming back to him in that moment. I think you really see it in the animation of Rex's face here.
0: Yeah, and just even the subtlety of, like, reaching for the gun and the way, like, the, the poncho, you know, Star Wars loves his ponchos now, of, you know, him <laughs> reaching for that gun. And, uh, you know, the the way they're just able to animate, just the, the cloth just so sort of slowly breezing off off his like hip etc like you know really works quite well and the lighting is doing a lot for this scene as well the fact that you have got like the the neon reds and greens they're all like lighting them up i i was quite surprised how much he kind of altered his opinion so quickly because even though like i said i agree that there's definitely that element of ptsd And knowing what those chips can do, and obviously, as a character, he's there to represent you know, chips they are bad. You know, I'm the character who's going to purvey this message and try and convince others to get theirs removed. But I still was a bit surprised that he was like, I'm willing to potentially grab my blaster and you know, like gun these guys down if I have to. Because I was like, you've just been drinking with them, you've seen that they're clearly fine. So it it was a bit of an overreaction, I think. But again, you know, I'll, I'll. that was just my kind of like ironic finding it a bit funny kind of brain but i think story-wise it it does make sense
1: yeah no the reason why i thought it worked really well is just because i don't have this experience of course i'm just putting that out there right now that's my caveat i don't have this experience but i've seen people who've had this experience that when you have ptsd especially when it's war-based or military-based it can you can just sort of change personality like that depending mm. on what triggers you or a certain situation again I'm not not talking from my own experience but just stories I've seen out there and, and things I've seen and other people I've spoken to it it can be very sudden change uh, with these types of things
0: yeah well it's like in um, Captain America Winter Soldier isn't it like when they're at that uh, meeting in which Sam runs then one of the characters says there was just a bag rolling through the, the street and she like swerved her car because she thought it was like a bomb or something like that so mm. i think that his reaction is understandable in the sense that you know he says that they're ticking time bombs so the fact that he thinks oh have they just been playing me this entire time is this just been a trap because the fact he is on the run as well would also make a character very on edge all the time very scared about the environment you don't know who you can trust so there would be that element of like you know i don't know whether i can trust these guys now knowing this information and I think it's interesting that this comes after his meeting with Omega and that he's kind of almost, like, protecting her because I think that that was kind of already building the emotions up for me. The fact that the fact she calls him, you know, a Generation 1 clone, but the fact that he says, I've seen many clones in my time and I've never met one like you, I think that it really brought the legacy of Rex about because, you know, he is a character who's been there since the beginning of Clone Wars so the fact that he's seen characters like Cut, etc., you know, so he would have seen, we've seen him meet different types of clones. And, you know, I guess, you know, 99 and, and all those kind of, like, clones as well. So I think that that was really endearing to the character as well, is that that legacy came through. We know that that's true. We know he's seen loads of clones. And it kind of just makes him the the kind of Gandalf of the clone <laughs> clones, I guess, in the way that he's, like... I know all about clones and I, I've, you know, fought alongside them and that's what makes him that sort of, like, elder character in terms of having that experience behind him makes him a very, you know, sort of bold character and sort of em- that's what embodies a lot of Rex's elements is just that he is the, the clone which has got the most history and then that is pointed out by Omega, which, like you said, highlights her intelligence and potentially her prose as to you know what her abilities are uh but it also is pointing out that yeah this guy definitely knows his clones because he's generation one so i think that that kind of emphasizes that kind of tragedy of being like a first generation you know imagine being like the first generation of your family and then essentially you know see in five generations or how many generations the clones they've been all die before you. You know, there's that idea of like it's horrific when like a parent outlives their child. Well, in some ways, you know, Rex has like outlived generations of like brothers, which so he would have seen so many that he lost, which was an element I think of the original Bad Batch Arc when he was talking about, you know, losing echo. He's like, you know, we've lost so many of our great brothers no fives etc so i think that that all comes through here as well which is great
1: get me emotional dave get me mm-hmm. emotional <laughs> and uh it wouldn't be an episode of the the monday lorians without me having to uh, wish for an action figure to be made from this episode and i have to say from this episode it is captain rex in combat poncho <laughs> 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 because there's a difference i want like i want the wrecker one in his poncho but that's more like a farm poncho you know he's relaxing he's got his hat on he's having some spotchka um but rex that poncho is like i'm ready for action you know he's got his clone armor underneath it's full of pockets so he can put things in different places that poncho is ready for action so captain rex in combat poncho (laughs) get it get it made disney
0: I'm pretty sure I saw somebody bad in ponchos the other day, like some sort of Star Wars discussion. I was like, I need to show Jake this. It's like, Jake, he's bad-mouthed ponchos. How dare he? He can never bad-mouth ponchos.
1: <laughs> 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 all right, so uh, later then, the Havoc Marauder is traveling through hyperspace, and Wrecker is uneasy about the plan, but Hunter reminds him they have agreed to meet Rex on Baraka. Uh, Wrecker says that he wants to cut open their heads, and Tech replies that all of them are going for the surgery. Omega corrects him and she says that she isn't since I don't have a chip. Mm-hmm. Wrecker grumbles, well, why don't you have a chip? That's not fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, when Hunter asks Tech about the progress, Tech says that since Rex's Chips was removed, he was able to establish a baseline by p- comparing his brain scan to theirs, taking into account any cellular anomalies. Omega says he means that he's almost finished. <laughs> I just love that joke and just Omega coming in with that. Is this almost finished? <laughs> uh, and again, like, why do you... Do you think there's... I think there's something to be said again about um, Omega not having this inhibitor chip, you know? Like, is she literally the only clone that's not had them? Have the Kaminos made other clones that don't have this chip? What's going on? Like, did did Boba... I don't think Boba would have had one, would he?
0: No, I wouldn't think so. So again, that just just supports my my idea that she is more of a natural clone. So, Mm -hmm. and if she's first generation or even zero generation, if that can be a thing, then all of (laughs) that would kind of make sense. I think, you know, there's definitely something experimental about her, something more natural. So I think that all of that kind of makes sense. So, yeah, it just seemed to sort of fit with what we've already seen and had her talk about you kind of just assume that she's not like the rest, so she wouldn't have a chip. So, yeah, that that didn't come as a surprise, but it does sort of Mm. kind of support those ideas that I was talking about.
1: I think with each episode now, or each episode, like, we're learning one thing about Omega, now another thing, and then now they're doubling up. They're like, oh, now there's two new things that we've learned about Omega in this episode. And I'm like, well, you know, I think we're now leading up to discovering what's her deal and what makes her so special compared to the others? So I'm so excited to see. It's that big question over the, epi- over the series, you know what I mean? What's Omega's deal? <laughs> uh, so as the Havoc Marauder descends into Bracca's uh, atmosphere, flying over Starship Graveyard, the ship lands amidst Rex starships in a damaged hangar next to a Y-Wing. Uh, Rex is waiting for them and greets the Batch when they arrive. When Wrecker asks how a junk planet is going to help them, Rex tells the clones to follow him and says that Bracker may not look like much, but the junk world has exactly what they need. Pointing to a wrecked Jedi cruiser lying in the distance, Rex says that he had his inhibitor chip removed on a ship like that, and Wrecker asks why they landed so far away from the ship. Hunter then spots something and warns everyone to take cover. As a hover barge flies by, Tech looks at it and identifies it belonging to the Scrapper Guild. And then Rex explains that they control the planet, and that is why they landed so far behind, so they can avoid being detected. So this is interesting going to the planet Bracca. So for fans of the Jedi uh, Fallen Order video game, this was a huge delight to see. It was, again, one of those Leonardo DiCaprio meme moments of pointing (laughs) at the screen. Oh, it's that one sort of thing. Uh, And I I, again I just really like that they're starting to connect all these extended stories within like the visual stories you know like movies and TV I like to see that video games books and comics are now all starting to come in and the promise that they said at 2012 like all these stories are going to be connected I'm like okay now I'm starting to see that like it's all starting to be connected so it was a real delight to see um, this uh, planet in the Bad Batch but what did you think about it?
0: Yeah, well it's almost uh, Jacosta News trivia library corner of the week, isn't it? You know, in terms of that <laughs> feeding into the the Star Wars lore. So, yeah, I enjoyed that. As soon as they said it, I was like, oh, yeah, where do I know that? And then once I saw it, I was like, ah, yes. So, yeah, I think it makes sense. It's good to see a kind of junk planet, if you will. Again, I suppose that has a lot of history within Star Wars legends. You know, it was a planet that you got to explore and the Star Wars Force Unleashed video game as well, which also was infamous for having like all these you know crashed ships, etc. So whenever we get to go somewhere like that, it reminds me of that video game, and of course Fallen Order as well. So makes sense. Kind of unfortunate that we haven't had it. I suppose Jakku in a way was kind of like that kind of planet, but it's, it's too bad that they've never really done that on a bigger scale in the movies, especially because they were so often looking to have different types of places that we hadn't seen from the conventional desert ice forest etc so yeah and and i it's kind of like that you have with a lot of those video games and other animated series i like it when you're able to see oh you know it's it's run by the the scrappers guild you know again it reminds me of that line from phantom menace of qui-gon you know saying like it's run by the hut you know and it's, it's that idea of these different factions and different groups who are running different parts of the the galaxy, which I think makes it seem more alive and you kind of then get intrigued, like, oh, well, who are they? And, you know, what's their deal? And I think that the fact that they've got quite a unique design. Again, I kind of like that sort of old rustic kind of techno look, where it's kind of like they're all cloaked. Especially when they've got like the cool like voices in terms of like the masks add in like a a certain filter to, to their voice I've said before that I enjoyed like the designs of the the police that worked in like the under, underground levels of of Coruscant so the, these guys kind of give me that vibe but, but yeah again like you said it's nice there's just linking everything all together and it makes sense as a, a, a location for them to go to and somewhere which you can easily hide out at which Weirdly, as I've just thought, does that mean that Rex and Cal Kestis are just there on the same planet, but just completely different ends? It's, it's weird that two survivors, in a way, of Order sixty six, both, both potentially on the on the planet at the same time. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know because
1: I think because uh, Fallen Orders a few years after the events of Revenge of the Sith, so I don't think it might not be at the exact same time.
0: Well. I think it's that the because obviously Order sixty six Cal survives that and him and his master was were stationed above that pl- planet apparently. So I'm thinking that if he they oh. were stationed above it, then he literally just started working in the, the planet below, which so he didn't actually go off anywhere else. He just stayed at the planet in which they were above.
1: I did not know I didn't know they were I did not know they were stationed above Braca. Interesting. Okay. That, that that does change things and the if I do ever, like, play Fallen Order again, like, if I'm running around there, I'll be like, Rex and the Bad Batch have been here. <laughs> like, yeah. they're here somewhere.
0: <laughs> exactly, yeah.
1: Vives <laughs> tried to warn me about the chips, but I didn't understand at the time. It's still hard to believe now. How did you boys find out about
0: them? Omega... The kid?
1: Uh, the clones then clamber up a partially submerged wrecked ship. Omega gazes at the wreckage of the Venator, amazed at how big it is up close. Passing by a low-lying area filled with water, Hunter observes the swamp and senses movement, warning Tech to stay above the waterline. As the clones navigate up the wreckage, they enter with wrecks leading the way across the impoverished bridge. The clones encounter a large gap in the wreckage leading all the way down to the water below. Rex tells the others that the medbay is on the far side and then tells Wrecker to grab a large cable nearby when asked how they're going to get across. The clones cross the gap by crawling along the cable, but Wrecker, the last to go, as always, he's nervous due to his fear of heights, claiming that the others, she goes, Oh, my head doesn't hurt anymore. You guys go ahead. Uh, (laughs) Wrecker finally begins to cross but his weight causes the cable to sag and eventually snap leaving Wrecker to fall before finding himself dangling just above the water by one leg and then uh, he asks the others if he is alright Omega spots a dark shape in the water below and Hunter orders Wrecker to start climbing immediately the tentacle of a Diagnoga erupts from the water and grabs Wrecker who cuts it off with his vibro knife as the others try to pull him up However, more tentacles emerge from the water and sees Wrecker dragging him underwater. After a moment of silence, Wrecker manages to surface, grab the cable, but the Diagnoga is unwilling to let him go, and Rex, Hunter, and Tech pull Wrecker up, echo fires on the creature, forcing it to let Wrecker go. After Wrecker has been pulled to safety, Wreck quips that it makes them miss fighting Clankers. (laughs) So I thought this was a really fun little sequence. Now... I know some of us, Niall especially, uh, has some issues with like, you know, a whole episode, like the creature of the week sort of thing. And sometimes I I enjoy it, but sometimes I can be like, okay, we get it. Like, let's get a move on with things. So I like it when they want to incorporate creatures, but for like moments like this, it's like an obstacle to overcome on their journey. And this, again, this is a, this, the second sort of Lord of the Rings reference. I got vibes of, like, just outside the mines of Moria, like, ooh, don't step in the water sort of oh, thing. Yeah. yeah. and then, you know, the creature coming out with all the tentacles, like some big giant squid octopus thing. I just thought it was a really fun sequence. And then I did not know this, that I just thought it was some, you know, octopus alien thing. But then when I was, like, gathering the notes for this episode, I was like, oh, it's a Diagnoga the same creature from episode 4 in the trash compactor, which kind of makes sense, because this whole sequence also gave off that vibe of that scene of the trash compactor, you know, they're all shooting down, going, Luke, Luke, are you there and it all goes quiet, and then he pops up, you know, it almost beat for beat it was very much like that very similar to the homage to the, what they called from Empire Strikes Back the,
0: when th- Minox
1: the minox, that's it, with Leia Watch, and then we get very similar thing with Omega. So again, I got a lot of homage to the trash compactor scene with this little sequence, but but what do you think of it?
0: Yeah, I kind of immediately got those vibes. As soon as I saw the tentacle, etc. I was like, oh, you know, we're going for this sort of homage and potentially the same sort of creature. And yeah, I think the I I always saw his interest in even when I was like a kid watching that scene I was kind of like where did this come from this just comes out of nowhere and the same kind of thing happens in Lord of the Rings and it it almost was a bit more naturally built in here because you had seen that there was water and you're on a junk planet so especially in, you know, the Death Star. I, to this day, I'm still, how did that get there? Did somebody just, <laughs> was it like a little baby one and somebody like, you know, was eating their sushi one day and then just chucked it in the trash compactor and then it grew to this giant size, you know, because it's this big industrial, you know, fresh off, off the line kind of space station. So I, I never understood why that was there. Here it kind of makes sense, but it maybe does give you a bit of, Story and lore to the fact that maybe they enjoy the kind of industrial environment. They like being around, you know, old technology. Maybe there's something about I don't know rust or something. But when they're exploring the, you know, the wreckage and they're going, you know, to to the location, I think that that was an element of where you had some really beautiful animation when they had that water, which was like the the greeny blue lagoon kind of stuff uh, that they go over. And again, that's really. You can see where it's kind of inspired it it, that frame kind of looks just like a piece of concept art just on its own and i think they've been very inspired from real world places that look like that whether it be when you get like old world war ii planes that are you know abandoned and you know in like a beach or something like that or where you get other places of natural beauty in which is like a cave or something and you have like a kind of blue lagoon or a different type of water as as surface somewhere. I think that they've been very influenced by that and I think that that came through. So it, it kind of linked in that creature coming into it a bit more because you had see, at least seen some water as well. So you were like, okay, I can, you know, link one and two together there and yeah I also did have some of the worries that like, oh, this isn't gonna turn into like a creature of the week kind of episode and just sort of laughed that it was like, okay, they they really do like their monsters in the show. But I was thinking about it, I was like, well, that is kind of in the DNA of Star Wars. I think in some ways we kind of forgot and lost that because of maybe the newer trilogy and just other animated series. But you know, when you look especially at the you know original trilogy, you've got that Diagnoga, you've Oops. got the Wampa, you've got the... Minox. Uh, yeah. Minox, you know, and as we've had... The Wyrm, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, but Return of the Jedi, obviously you've got uh, the... Jabba's Palace. Jabba's <laughs> Palace, you know, uh, yeah. what was it called? The
1: the Rancor, yeah. The
0: Rancor, yeah, so uh, which has already been teased in this show. So the original trilogy was very much based on that, and it kind of lends itself to old hollywood b-movie those kind of like creature features which this again this was just revolving in my head as i watched it i was just imagining you know omega if she does hold like a movie knife, then she's gonna do the creature feature <laughs> it's the creature feature <laughs> but, uh, i think that's the kind of uh that's the kind of night should put on i think she likes a creature creature feature festival (laughs) yeah um i also did like you said it it was a fun sequence it kind of was quite compelling when he did go under the water and they were like you know wrecker etc and i was just waiting for somebody to start shooting the thing so i was glad when echo did that um but i had the the bit that made me laugh is when they all like holding each other and like pulling the like rope, so it's like Hunter at the beginning and all of the clones, and it just reminded me of like the Seven Dwarfs or something from Snow White. This idea of they're all like come together, man, and they're all like, oh, oh, and they're all like falling on the floor. I was like, this is just hilarious. So I was like, there's some real kind of humor to this compelling situation in which the clones are kind of these like bumbling idiots in a way that they all have just gone you know like oh let's shoot the thing or i'll do my own thing no they just all banded together and they're kind of like (laughs) pulling each other like yeah like comic characters so that made me laugh that they they did that
1: (laughs) yeah i i spotted that as well i really appreciate that (laughs) it just adds to the whole like this whole sequence like i You know, it's like the Mandalorian's bingo. Like, put it, keep it, I'm going to say it again. But it goes back to that pulpy, serialized storytelling of that George Lucas pull from. You know, you got this weird creature coming out. Quick, you sorted that. There's another issue we got to overcome. Like, you know, I just love it. It's just so fun. Especially for, like, animated Star Wars. I think it's really embedded. Because I don't want to say it's more directed towards children, but it is more family-friendly. So... Kids like their creatures. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I could, couldn't could have enough of creatures. Give me all the monsters and dinosaurs and things like that. So I can see why they're doing it. It's fun. So, um, so yeah, the clones are traveling down a dark corridor, and they approach a chamber sealed by an open blast door. Rex and Tech shine their torches around the medical bay. Tech, <laughs> this is a really funny joke for me, uh, Tech notes that after seeing a rat, he's like, this room is no longer a sterile environment. But after rest him if he would prefer the facilities on Camino, Tech admits this will have to do. <laughs> Tech once again killing it with the lines. Uh, again, I go back to the writing of these scripts. They just know exactly when to use these characters at the right times. And this is another shining moment for Tech for me. Uh, so Echo begins calibrating with his uh, screwdriver arm while Tech prepares the equipment. He puts the scanner over Wrecker's head and Omega tells Hunter that she's worried about how safe the surgery is, that just because it worked on Rex doesn't mean it will work on everyone else. And Rex counters the argument saying that it is more dangerous to leave the chips in and Hunter agrees, telling Omega that they have to do it regardless of the risk. Omega, again, being very fearful that she doesn't want to be an orphan if the procedure go wrong. This is a really sweet moment where Hunter reassures her that she's stuck with them in for the long run and that they're not going anywhere. This is where it starts to (laughs) go wrong for everyone else, though. Tech finds the Wrecker's inhibitor chip. Wrecker panics, but Omega then calms him down, sensing that something is not right. Rex quietly comments that they need to speed things up, Hunter says that the, when the regular chrome troopers attacked the Jedi on Kala, they did not understand why. Hunter says that they couldn't save the Jedi General, but they helped the Padawan to escape. And Wrecker's Re- overhearing this as he's still touching his head. Tech is about to inject Wrecker when the Wrecker grabs him with a wrist, and with a sudden change in demeanor, he begins choking Tech and states that he's in direct violation of Order 66. He then lifts Tex and hurls him across the room, and this is where we get the very sad moment of Wrecker turning on the Batch. Now, before we get into the whole action bit of this, uh, Dave, what do you make of this whole scene or sort of leading up to it? I thought it was really well done in terms of like tension and pacing. You're like, something's going to happen, something's going to happen, but you're not quite sure when it's going to happen And then for me, as soon as they started speaking about Jedi, I was like, no, stop speaking about Jedi. Like (laughs) he's going to hear it. And then and then we get that moment. So it was incredibly uh, suspenseful, tense, and also really emotional thinking, oh, my God, I don't want this to happen. But naturally, it was going to happen. So what do you make of it?
0: Yeah, I think initially, like you said, the the tension is definitely the strongest element of this. It's kind of you know, waiting for that big moment in which, you know, if there's like a monster there or, you know, you've got a killer in the room it's just waiting for that moment in which they unleash. So you're just building and building up to that moment, waiting for them to crack. And yeah, I didn't sort of click on to that the first time, really, the all well, they're talking about the Jedi. So that kind of makes sense because a lot of the problems I've had, in the past few weeks when we've been talking about, you know, the ramifications of Order 66, it's like, well, that was just that order and they executed that order, so why would then that come about afterwards, really? So I think that they go around that in quite an interesting way here, saying you were in violation of that. Because to me, again, my understanding of the chip was that it worked at that moment, and even though it's changed all the clones in terms of their personalities, I didn't sort of see it as something that would be, continued to be triggered because to me that order's been put out it's been initiated at that time and anyone who wasn't affected at that time just would never be affected again but apparently that's not the case and uh so i think that that's interesting i was kind of a bit like this seems awful convenient like you know the fact that we've gone to this location we're going to get it out and it's just sticking to a lot of the tropes i think you find within film and television you're like oh yeah of course it triggers off now you know why why would it happen when they're about to do it and all that kind of stuff but it does make sense because like you said they've talked about the jedi but also they've been scanning it so they've you know in some ways made the situation worse so they've inflated the problem and made the the chip go off more because they're sort of scanning it and tinkering with it, and maybe making Rekka more stressed. So I think that that, well, that all makes sense as well.
1: Well, rekka has been stressed this whole episode. If you sort of track his progress, like mm. from at the beginning where he's eating Mantel mix and having a great time, as the episode gone, he's getting more anxious, more nervous as we go. We go along. He's just fought off the Diagnoga. That was probably very stressful. And now Tech is fiddling about with like his inhibitor chip and stuff. It to me it just it was natural that it built up to this moment and I don't know about you but like when we were in the Venator and it's you know the lighting is so dark and dingy and stuff like that it almost gave another sort of like a horror film vibe to this episode especially when Wrecker turns like I got a very Halloween Mike Myers like this unstoppable force and you're hiding everywhere you can because you just can't stop this guy and I really appreciate that I really like when they. Again, I keep saying this, when in animated shows, they like to incorporate different genres. I know that Clone Wars did it very well, and I like that the Bad Batch is doing that as well.
0: Yeah, something I've talked about before, of when it's not the intention of a certain piece of media to be that genre or that scary or dark, and it goes ahead and does it, so it's pushing the boundaries and the limitations of what's expected of that show or genre. So, yeah, I really like that, and that's why I kind of, at the top, compared it to that episode on the moon because you're getting that horror element of like you said the sort of unstoppable force and and hiding away and and the sort tension and and scares that, that come along with that and yeah i definitely agree with tech as soon as i saw that it goes to show as well that you can sort of relate or link to at least one of these clones in different situations because they're all these kind of Archetypal characters. So as soon as they went in there, I was just like, "That's not a very like clean environment to do this in." I was like, "Oh, you know, that's <laughs> going to be really dangerous and stuff." And then the fact that Tech says that, I was like, "Thank you, Tech." You know, you know, So it's almost like you feel as if you're part of the group. But, you know, if I was there, I would have been like, "Yes, thank you for making that point, you know, Tech." And potentially, like when Rex said that, then I also would have been like, "Yeah, th- this will do nicely." <laughs> once once he pointed that out as well, so
1: I feel as if we're missing our hunter because. You know, Niall seems to be like Crosshair. He's off on his own like, yeah. at the minute. He hasn't joined us for a while. <laughs> I, see, I seem to be like Wrecker most of the time. And you're very like, tech. Oh, we've got to make sure this is done. We need a hunter.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm just there like, uh, well, actually, Echo, you'll remember that at the Citadel, <laughs> you know. So, you know, that does make sense. Uh, also, I just think it's refreshing to see this kind of messy environment that you know you are very used to seeing those venator class ships very clean pristine but when we got a lot of the other animated shows and a lot of the other star wars universe even though we get a lot of the scum and villainy and this kind of you know i suppose as you mentioned before go into planets in which it's the typical rundown cities and all that kind of stuff you still don't get many like individual locations they go to usually you're stuck on like this nice imperial ship or something like that so it was nice to see them sort of exploring something that's so run down that's not even like oh it's still operating it's still working like literally abandoned rats running around the place like we've never really seen that in a, in a Star Wars film you know like alien rats running around and literally you know mm. it's it's an overturned Star Destroyer it's all broken down and holes and cables everywhere so i think that that made for a really refreshing change of location as well
1: yeah and i can't confirm this but i'm pretty sure the rats that we see look like the same rats you have to kill Mm. in fallen order and I was just like, oh, don't kill this one. Leave this this leave this one go. Oh,
0: in fallen order, you get some giant rats. Like, I, yeah, I think like, it's just scary... a bigger
1: version of the same rat. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but I swear we have seen them, like even the smaller ones, again, maybe in like Force Unleashed or some other form of Star Wars video game or animation.
1: Yeah. Well, um, again, I'm just no creature killing, please. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, Wrecker then puts his helmet on, he gets his blaster. Uh, knocks the gun from Rex's hand as he tries to stun him. Rex Hunter grabs Omega and shelters her as the clones take cover from Wrecker. Uh, Hunter decides that they should draw him out and tells Omega to stay with Tech. Hunter throws a canister at Wrecker, which he destroys with his blaster, filling the room with smoke that allows them to retreat from the room. So Wrecker follows them into the corridor, exchanging fire with Rex. Hunter throws his Viroblade at Wrecker, causing him to drop his blaster. We then get into a lot of back and forth about... Hunter fighting Wrecker, throwing, you know, Echo studying at Rex as as Rex stuns Echo, which then knocks him out. But then uh, it then goes into um, Wrecker's then choking Hunter, saying that all clones in violation of Order 66 should be terminated. Omega comes to the rescue as shoots him from behind, causing Wrecker to drop Hunter. Wrecker then confronts Omega as she flees down the corridor. Uh, Wrecker approaches. She manages to slide under a door, but before she can find a way out, Wrecker enters the room. And again, it's going back to this horror vibe of she's hiding there. He's looking for her. It's done really well, I think. He eventually finds her. And Omega tries to reason with Wrecker, telling him that it's the inhibitor chip. Wrecker denounces her as a traitor and says that she should be terminated. Omega pleads with him to stop before she can shoot him. He grabs the rifle. Wrecker says that good soldiers follow orders before raising his blaster. But just in the nick of time, Rex comes in and stuns Wrecker from behind. So this was an incredibly emotional moment for me because even though you know nothing's gonna actually go wrong, because you're like, it can't actually go wrong. Like to the degrees of where they were hinting at. Like, Wrecker's not gonna kill Omega. That's not gonna happen. But they do a very good job of building the tension, building the suspense. And for a split second, you do question of like, oh my God, is he going to do it? And obviously Rex comes in at the last minute to, to, to save Omega. But it's just heartbreaking to see that these two characters, as I've been saying, they formed a very lovable brother-younger sister relationship. You know, they're always doing the goofy things together, getting the mantel mix and messing about and all this stuff. To, to now, to see Wrecker say that he has to terminate Omega, I was just in bits, man. It was just so emotional. I think, again, I have to go... We spoke about it up top, but Bradley D. Baker's performance as Wrecker in this moment, to still be Wrecker, to have that gruff voice, but he's lost the goofiness, he's lost the endearing, charismatic side of Wrecker, and he's now this unstoppable killing machine that you do not want to trifle with. It just goes to Bradley D. Baker's performance of he's playing Tamira Morrison, but he's playing a grunt version of Tamura Morrison, but now he's playing a serious grunt version of Tamura Morrison. The guy's a genius. So yeah, I, I love this sequence. Again, as I was saying, the horror sequences with Omega hiding from Wrecker was just really scary and really suspenseful. So yeah, top marks from me. this so good. Uh, but what do you think?
0: Well, the Bradley Baker is kind of playing Tamira Morrison as like a grunt version of Tamira Morrison, who's then a hypnotized version of the grunt version of Tamira Morrison, which then has to be kind of like all the other clones who've been hypnotized by Order 66. So, yeah, it's kind of like working on so many different levels. But, yeah, this was really compelling. Like you said, you know that it's not going to happen, but for that brief moment, you're like, uh, is something like this going to happen? But so it, it, it sucks you in. You're drawn into the the stakes and the drama of the situation, which I think, you know, is is very impressive. And the action is great. And just like how brutal they are with this that's what i what i was most shocked by the fact to see like wrecker grab tech by the neck and literally just throw him against the the wall and usually again with animation or star wars series you kind of see them like you know shake it off and be like oh you know but the fact that like just text just there just passed out he's just on the floor he's he's out of it you're just like oh my god is he okay and then when he throws fact-
1: Echo at Rex as well.
0: Yeah, he like grabs him by the face. <laughs> I was <just> like, so <laughs> that was quite, you know, distressing. And especially, it, it's good, that obviously they're all trying to use like, you know, stun, and I've always appreciated that with Star Wars. It works really well within animation as well, is, you know, they had it in like the Ahsoka arc when she was on the run, is the because that's such a distinctively different looking blast and sound that it, it really mixes up the the action and the the sound effects as well but it kind of makes wreckers blasts even more like powerful the fact that they immediately have to get behind that table and he's literally just they gunning them down in the same room is you know quite frightening and you know you can imagine being in that scenario it's just literally like close combat so that is you know it's, it's kind of crazy in that sense especially as we mentioned before that he's been triggered by hearing about them talk about the jedi and something i wanted to mention earlier quickly was just the irony as well that Rex has heard Hunter talking about uh about Kanan is the mm. fact that ironically then he'll come to meet him in the future, it's and true, the fact yeah. that like he, he hears that story of how he survived, but there's just not that connect at that moment. So I always appreciate those little ironies there that uh, you know he's like, Oh, I you know, I didn't realise that this Jedi survived, or I wasn't involved in that situation. But lo and behold, when he's meeting Kanan, he doesn't know that he does have a slight link to to that survival story that he's talking about which is interesting but yeah obviously the the omega and wrecker stuff is really heartbreaking i think for me the emotion comes in uh, after this uh, moment which we'll talk about but i was surprised that uh when she did sort of like have to like blast near him i was like does she not know how to use the stun you know could she have not tried to stun him and i did wonder if there was going to be an element of like you know it takes a lot to take him down it's like taking down a, a lion or something you know maybe that one tranquilizer is isn't enough kind of thing but it was almost like a frankenstein's monster element as well is that in that classic movie there's you know the little girl who you know he uh is uh drawn to and then you know people seeing him as like a monster etc so the, there was a bit of an element of that here as well so it was all really compelling stuff and yeah, quite scary when it, you know, it came down to it. And it reminded me a lot again of that Ahsoka Rex moment in the Clone Wars finale of, you know, not being in control. And as Rekka says later, you know, he, he knew what was happening, but he couldn't change it. And, you know, it's the fact that they're looking then at a sort of sister, if you will, it's the same kind of relationship, I suppose, Rex and Ahsoka to Rekka and Omega. So again, George Lucas, a poetry, you know, poetry, it rhymes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Dave Filoni has learned well from the past. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think um, we'll t- we'll talk about it in a sec. But I think it's the follow up that makes it much more emotional. The fact that Wrecker is aware of what he's doing and he can't stop himself—that just it just br- makes it so much more devastating for those characters. Uh, and the fact as well that Omega, it just goes enhances her character that she's still trying to get through and saying it's not you because I've you know you get a lot of the tropes of these sort of things where they're like oh I can't believe you turned against me and that sort of thing and she's there like no I know it wasn't you it's this inhibitor chip you're my you're my friend (laughs) so yeah it's just great
0: this isn't you Rika it's the inhibitor chip
1: conspiring with traitors makes you guilty of treason Please! Stop! I don't want to hurt you! Yeah. But Rekka, I'm your friend! Good soldiers. Follow orders. Uh, the clones then surround the surgical pod as Wrecker is inside. Omega looks with distraught while Hunter watches vigilantly. Tex says the procedure is complete and brings Wrecker out. Omega tries to wake up Wrecker, but he doesn't respond. And Tex says that Wrecker is unconscious and that his vitals have not yet stabilized. When Wreck says to Hunter that it could be a while, suggesting he take Omega outside, Omega insists on staying with Wrecker until he wakes up. Eventually, Wrecker wakes up and tussles Omega's hair, asking why the long face kid. Omega is delighted, and the bad batch welcome their comrade back. Holding up tech scanner, Rex says one chip down and three to go before asking who
0: is next. Later, Tech emerges from the. opportunity
1: for what happened, Omega understands and says it's okay, and then she lovingly says, Treat, "Here, do you want some of this?" and pulls out some mantel mix, and saying it's tradition. And then they get, they start exchanging the mantel mix, which is so, so sweet. Um, so, yeah, before we get to the last section here, we sort of already spoke about it. I just wanted to mention a little brief comedy moment from Tech as well. Like, they're all waiting for Wrecker to, like, wake up. And then he wakes up and he just goes, oh, you're awake. <laughs> it's just the way it was like, oh, it's an experiment. He's like, oh, he's back. It's <laughs> yeah. Just the way it's so... Heck, the way he said it like it's nonchalant oh it worked okay excellent let's carry on with the next one <laughs> and then outside the the destroyer rex talks to someone on his wrist saying that he will meet them at their rendezvous by the next rotation hunter approaches having figured that rex is not out of the fight just yet and rex says he spent his life defending the republic so he's not going to stop now he believes that the bad batcher skills will be a tremendous asset but Hunter says things have changed, adding that Omega needs them and that he has to do what is best for his squad. Rex tells them to let him know when they have sorted their lives out. The two troopers bid each other farewell, and Rex disappears into the fog. Unknown to the clones, though, they are being watched by a scrapper guild patrol through a pair of macro binoculars. One scrapper tells his mate that there are intruders present aboard the cruiser, and orders that the Empire will be notified. And then that comes to the end of the episode. So, Dave, we got a couple of things here. We got Rex talking to someone, saying that he's, you know, still fighting for the Republic. There's still people out there who are fighting for good. Before we get into the little uh, last bit at the end, what do you make of all that? Do you think he's maybe in working with Saul Guerrera, Or obviously he's definitely involved with the Martez sisters somehow. They seem to be working for, I don't know, some sort of faction of early rebellion. Like I said, not the Rebellion with a capital R yet, but just the, these little factions doing what they feel is of right. What do you make of what, what Rex is currently doing? Because he's also been saying he's been lying quite low, and then all of a sudden he's like, oh, i got these jobs to do now. Like,
0: Yeah, well, I, I never liked the idea that, you know, you'd have characters like Ahsoka and Rex, and, you know, that awful thing happens in the finale of Clone Wars, and then they just, oh, I need to go into hiding now, and then we just never see, you know, nothing happens between those years. And, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, that's the challenge that the Kenobi series is going to have on its hands, is you don't want it to literally be like, oh, I've been hired to do this job, and they're going off and doing these different adventures. But you can't just buy that, you know, just Rex, Ahsoka, Kenobi would all just be sat around, you know, for all these years. So, especially because we know that Rex is potentially a part of the rebellion through you know, some of the the links that they've they've made with Return of the Jedi, etc. So I think Oh, uh, and
1: rebels. And rebels.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um but I suppose they they he is when you meet him kind of the crazy hermit in a way with you know Wolf and Gregor because they are just on this random planet on this this old walker. So I am, you know, if if we hadn't had that in Rebels, I'd kind of be fully on board of being like, yeah, you know, where's this going? Oh, yeah, you know, he's going to be working potentially with characters like Bail Organa or the early rebellion, so. But I think that that development in Rebels does rob a bit of the possibilities of where this could be going, because a lot of people will say, you know, especially with prequels, when you know the outcome, how is it as, as interesting? And sometimes it's the, you know, the, the how rather than you know like the how it happened rather than the actual execution but to to know exactly where like a character like ends up and then where they'll be picked up I'm just a bit like right well I don't know I'm not sure if I'm as interested I I was never a big fan of that to be honest I was never a big fan of the whole I kind of like thought it was fun that they were there on that walker and they were these crazy hermits but I know, I prefer the, the direction they seem to be going to. I seem I prefer that sort of like more active role that they are taking. But yeah, it could be numerous characters these in contact with similar to last week. You know, I tried sort of listening back to it and I was like, oh, there's, there's no way of really knowing. But yeah, it could be ah- Ahsoka, Bale, Saw. I've said before, I would prefer to maybe see more of the different factions who were like involved with, you know, the rebellion and stuff like that. You know, I suppose in Rebels, we do know that there are characters like Champs and Dula as well, which links into Hera, etc. So, you know, there could be characters like that out there as well. So, yeah, I'm kind of open to who it could be. And obviously, but I do think it's somebody linked in with the Rebellion and it could be it could be linked in with like another series, which we see in the future as well. So I think that 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 would be fun. Again, I think all of this, where I said last time, it'd be, it would be really fun if we do have some sort of link-in or connection with Kenobi or something. I think even though it's understandable that him and Yoda of all the characters would have gone into hiding um, and just remained as those hermits. You don't want every character to be the hermit, but those two characters make a lot of sense. But, because we know he's getting a series, well, we know he does need to take a more active role in some ways. But, I also like the idea of it being Bail Organa, again, of him just being this guy who's in the Senate and is just like, screw you, Empire, I'm just going to do my own thing. The fact that he took that active role, he saved Yoda. You know, I don't think people give him enough credit for, like, how much, you know, he saved the galaxy in a lot of ways, you know, so... he He's one of
1: the few senators that knows Palpatine's a Sith.
0: Yeah. You know? So... You know, and, and one of the few who's willing to stand up and speak out against all these things that are happening as well. So I think that, you know, that that is very interesting as well. But interesting that he still remains there in the Senate because we know that Leia, et cetera, becomes the center as well. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I think it's interesting that the Scrappers Guild seem to infamously be, like, Snitches, you know, they're just like call the empire. <laughs> like immediately, <laughs> they're not going to deal with themselves. Like call the empire. Oh yeah. Um, so I did think for a moment whether that was Fennec when we saw the binoculars, because uh, we haven't saw heard from her in a while. Uh But no, it, it was them. So again, a nice lead up to next next week. But but going back to the Omega stuff and after the the aftermath of the the battle and everything, I think that. One, I was surprised to see just tech immediately. Okay, he was just there on the computer and it was, it's kind of typical of tech. He just gets straight back to work. But I was like, dude, you you were like out, you know, you were like thrown against the wall. I thought we were going to see him injured or like you know, laying down or something like that. No, nope. but yeah, I think the, the bit that really got me, the most heartbreaking moment is when one, it's really sad when you see a like shaking wreck and he's not waking up. And for a moment you are like, oh my God, you know, are they going to do this? Is, you know, it, is he going to wake up? And then they say that you know he needs a bit more time, you know his vitals, I'm stabilized yet, but when she says that like I'm not leaving him, and she like pulls forward a chair and like just like literally is just like right next to him, I think it's that imagery that you know a lot of us in some ways have experienced or seen it's that kind of like at someone's bedside the holding a loved one's hand, you know it kind of reminds me a lot again of like other animated films or like family films you see in the past of like that child or character that innocent character sort of being there for that injured character so that really got me I saw sort of re really welled up at that moment I think it's it's just so endearing and charming of, of Omega to say that like I'm not leaving his side and that was the bit that I was like oh you know <laughs> like so and I think I put on Twitter you know like me watching you know Bad Batch and it was like the crying sort of gif and I, I was saying like it's just a cartoon it's just a cartoon but And from my history on the show, people must be like, wow, this person is really, (laughs) like, emotional. Like, R2-D2, like, made me cry. But it's just something about that notion of just, like, I'm not leaving their side. And just the look and that kind of imagery of, like, being at their bedside, I just thought was so sad and just sort of spoke so much about Omega's commitment and her, like, affection for not just Wrecker, but just anyone. I think that just shows how pure and innocent that she is that she's just willing to there to stand by and sit by their bedside even though that she's had very little experience in these kind of situations before
1: well said dave that uh, you um pretty much hit hit all the points i wanted to bring up this is uh it's not a criticism it's more of a not even something i struggled with it's something i questioned and that was i'm in two minds about this on one hand I do kind of feel it would have been nice if the Wrecker thing maybe went on for an episode or two more, you know, to create that more of like, oh my God, we've actually lost Wrecker, we need to bring him back, that sort of thing. I think it would have been nice if it would have created a bit more tension. But on the other hand, I'm also kind of thinking, well, it was kind of nice that we've all been building up to this moment, we've got to this moment, and we've resolved it. That's something out the way, let's move on to something else. I'm in two minds, but where where do you go with this? Because I kind of feel as if we could have had a few more episodes with the Wrecker thing going on, you know, to have Wrecker and cross it. Oh, no, you know, we got to get both of them back now and then eventually bring Wrecker back. But at the same time, it's nice that they, you know, wrapped up this little story element and keep going forward with the others because there is a lot of other story elements in play that they do need to wrap up.
0: Yeah, no, I do agree with you in some sense. I think it's just the position and place we're at now... I think in a few weeks' time, we will forget about that. I think the main thing from it is not so much like... Like, I didn't sort of come to the end of it being like, oh, I wish this lasted longer. I think it was more just the fact that you were like, this has been built up for, like, weeks now in episodes, and then it's just wrapped up already. So I think it's, it's more that, like you said, that there the could have still been those more ramifications. You don't want to stretch it out, but the fact that you build this up over several episodes to then sort of resolve it within one episode... That's where it's it's a bit anticlimactic in some some ways, so yeah i I do see what you mean. I think it depends on the way that they now approach this whole crosshair situation because that's the bit I'm more, most excited by because i I have said that I have missed flipping back to the crosshair stuff, and i'm I'm sure that Niall agrees. I was talking about this with someone else as well, and they were like, oh well now we know it's you know getting crosshair back and you know getting him back on board, now they're gonna sort of like remove the chip, and then everything will be fine, and they'll be the bad batch and I was like. I'm not sure if that's going to be the case. You know, Crosshair's has done some very dark things now at this stage. So I don't know if he's redeemable. I don't think it is just an element of we need to get Crosshair on the operating bed, o- open his head up, get it out of there. Everything's fine and hunky-dory. Because, again, I, as I said... Well, it he seems... already is a bit of an asshole.
1: Yeah. You know, without,
0: without, the, without Order 66. So, you know,
1: there's a little bit of just that's who he is in him already. Exactly. So but... I don't think it's... As easy as redeemable of that. I'm not saying he's going to get killed by the end of the series, but I don't know if it's going to be all kumbaya. We're all together now. And if if Kevin, if you go by Kevin Kiner's comments when he's been saying I've been making some really emotional music for the last couple of episodes, I'm not saying it's crosshair, but I have a a really devastating gut feeling that one of the Bad Batch might not make it by the end of this series.
0: I definitely yeah I think that that is the case to be honest it, it could be cross here it depends the way I think we're at this moment now we've said that we're at the halfway mark whether you want to take that literally or not which episode you're counting six or seven whatever um I think that this is the the point in which the the season's going to change now because they've said that and you can tell that that's the case I think that we haven't seen as much of cross here recently and I think that's been done intentionally to build up the bad batch and and the other characters and i think now we're going to really delve into it and there might be some sort of redemption story there might be some sort of sympathy we build up to him in the coming episodes which makes then a death or a betrayal even more powerful or it could be on on the other side it could be with another bad batch member so fortunately i think that we are gonna lose one of one of the bad batch potentially and yeah it's gonna be sad but yeah, I think the the way the Cross is going to come into this, I think that they're going to continue to explore this idea of, you know, nature versus nurture, I guess, in a way. Or, like, you know, if it's...
1: The organic versus the mechanical, as I Yeah, it. you
0: know, whether uh, that kind of idea that they've explored within the Clone Wars before as well, of, you know, are, are they just bred soldiers? Or, you know, do they, have, do they have a personality of their own? And like you said, Cross here has shown that he's a bit of an arsehole anyway, and that's kind of why I thought that he kind of went along with Order 66 already. So it could even just be that they just remove his chip and he's just like, no, I still agree with this. And it's like, oh, okay. So yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how things go. I just, yeah, I just hope that we we get back to that. And I don't want it to be just too much of like next week is just, oh, you know, the bad batch on the run from Crosshair and that's just all the episode is. I just want a bit more context, a bit more emotion there because now that we've lost, you know, we've seen Rex, now we've seen a lot of things that we were building up to and being teased. I think now is the time to kind of get into the kind of nitty gritty and you don't want it just to be an adventure of the week in terms of like them just running from the Empire. I think you want to kind of have those conflicts and those conversations and go back to what we had before about what, what do the Kaminoans want out of this? See a bit more of the Empire, see that transition into Stormtroopers, you know, what What's their... his name?
1: Rampart. Yeah. What's his deal? Exactly. You
0: know I, mean? I, I I want to see that all sort of back and forth again. I think that, that would be an ideal t- time for that to happen. Would be next week.
1: I just couldn't make it stop. I know, Rika. It's okay. But still, yeah, I, I'm sorry. <gasps> the mission's over. We can't break tradition
0: thanks kid yeah well uh, thank you for joining us this week uh, on the Monday Lorians. of course you can catch us again next week which we'll be talking about episode 8 uh, you can follow uh, the Monday Lorians over on freshtakehub.com slash the Monday you can catch up on all our previous episodes or if you've never managed to uh, check out our coverage of the Mandalorian uh, you can go check out our coverage of season 2 of that and also us talking about like Star Wars news, etc. as well. Uh, you can catch myself over on Twitter at David Osgar O-S-G-A-R, as well as on Letterboxd and on Fresh Take Hub, uh, where I've got some exciting articles and content on the way. Uh, Jake, where can we catch yourself?
1: Uh, yeah, you can also find me on Twitter at Sweaty Jake. And you can get all my film reviews on Letterboxd at Jake Hart, that's H-A-R-T. And if I'm also on Fresh Take Hub as well. So if you want to ponder, I've got a couple of articles up there. And you can also check out my other podcast that I do with Dave and our friend Tom, Capes, Cows, and Masks, where we talk about superheroes uh, and all that good stuff. Uh, You can catch us on wherever you get podcasts from. So Apple, Spotify, Google, all that good stuff.
0: Yeah. And for ourselves, you can catch us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. So subscribe and follow us on there. Uh, If you're on Apple, please leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us to get up in the rankings. And yeah, we look forward to having the same conversation next week, talking about the newest episode. This is the way. This is the way.
1: This is the way.